Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homestead Education. I am so excited today to have on Jill Winger. Now, I don't have a bio for her, but I think we all kind of know who she is. She is the host of the Old Fashioned on Purpose podcast, the owner of the Prairie Homestead, and some other really great things that I'll let her take it from here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Cody. This is fun to be on yours after you came on mine. I think, was it last year sometime? Yeah, that was it was a great in November, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people loved it. People love that episode. So thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to chat with you. It's always a pleasure. Definitely. Yeah, that was a really fun episode. I've had a lot of people say that after what we talked about, they didn't feel alone anymore. And that was really yes. special. Yes. So if you guys get a chance to pop over to Jill's podcast and listen to the episode on raising homestead kids, that'd be really, you know, you might get a lot out of that one. Yeah. It was good. So Jill, you um, you know, you've been a homesteader for in, you know, in this kind of modern homestead teaching window for a long time. Um, how's that um come about for you and how's that like changed over the years? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, it's been interesting to see just the industry, if you want to call it that, the trend or whatever, shift mm-hmm. along with my own life, you know, kind of mature and figure out where I where I want to be in the homestead world. But uh, it started out when I was a newlywed. I wasn't born into a farmer ranch family, so I had to kind of very consciously choose this. I've always had a bent towards agriculture. I always wanted to be a horse girl. I always wanted to live on a farm, but I, I mean, I, I was raised in a normal old 1990s suburban neighborhood. So I had to, you know, kind of broach my way here. But um, as a newlywed, I, I didn't, I knew we didn't want to be living like, you know, everyone else. I just didn't want to fall into this rut of the rat race. And like, I feel like there was such a, a formula and prescription of what we were supposed to do with our life. You know, you go to college, you get married, and then you just do the thing. Right. And that wasn't what my husband and I were called to. We didn't know what we were called to, but we knew that it wasn't that. It didn't feel right. And so long story short, we wanted a property for our horses and I didn't want to live in town. Um, and so we found this old ramshackle homestead property <laughs> on 60 acres with a horrible little house and a ton of trash. And it was within our budget. So we bought it for the horses. I mean, I literally you know, walking every time head. you tell that story, I feel your excitement in finding that old rundown yes. place. So, you know, I yes. think it's such a wonderful story. Yeah. And it was exciting. And I, I look back, you know, and even when you watch like the HGTV house hunters episodes and everyone's like, so picky and they're like, oh, this doesn't have the right bathroom. So I can't buy it. And you know, they walk through the house over and over. It was literally like, we walked in the house once. I'm like, where's the master bedroom? And the realtor pointed. And I'm like, cool, bro. And we walked out and I'm like, let's buy it. I, I had no, I didn't even look at the house. I just knew it had land. And it you was know what, exciting. When, when we bought our house, I'd already seen pictures of the house. So I checked the barn and tasted the water. And then the there realtor, you did you want to see the house? And I was like, oh yeah, let's look at the house. The house. Okay, sure. I forgot about that. I know it's yeah. just so funny. Um, but as a kid who had always dreamed of owning land or living in the country, like I could have been living in a tent and it would have been magical. So it was, I still remember what it felt like. I'll never forget what it felt like. It was so special to have that, that land ownership um, and have it belong to us. So yeah, we, we bought it, you know, 
we knew it needed work. We knew our horses could go on it. And pretty soon into that journey, I was kind of hit with this revelation of sorts, like, well, that and sort of a, a little bit of a panic, like, now we're grownups with a mortgage and not a huge income. And I need to justify this to myself, at least to make myself mm-hmm. sleep better. So I'm like, how can I be productive with this land? How can I make it earn back some of this investment? And, you know, my first thought was food. We could grow food. We mm-hmm. could have gardens and animals. And I didn't understand that sometimes homesteading can be a little more expensive than buying food at the store at that point. I didn't understand that, yeah. <laughs> that whole exchange, but it didn't matter because that kind of gave me that path to point towards and the rest is history. Well, and we're so happy you did because you've been such a pioneer in this movement. So yeah, wild ride for sure. (laughs) Definitely. You know, um, one thing that every time I do something on my farm, I think about a conversation that you had at one point about you learned your lesson on not investing in the right materials right off the bat. Oh man. Yeah. We're actually, that's our job Sunday is fixing what we did last year on our garden. So isn't it fun? Don't you just love it? <laughs> like, this is like punishment for not making good choices. Right. Well, you know, I wanted raised cedar beds and I couldn't afford raised cedar beds. I'm allergic to some weed on our property. So mm. I had to go with raised beds over digging through the weeds every year. And one of our neighbors works for a cedar mill. So he was able to get us cedar fence boards that were the wrong size for like a hundred dollars for the bundle Mm. so I was like I am making this work and my beds still look great but I had to put a fence around them to keep the dogs out of them and my fence was chicken wire and t-posts so oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) rebuilding the fence yes this year I'm doing hog panels because my cows busted right through (laughs) it last year so (laughs) which that's a whole nother conversation because the cows wouldn't stay in the hot wire so you know yes Man, yeah. Oh, so much I could say with the chicken wire struggles, the hot wire struggles, you know, we bought the fancy homesteader fence that everyone talks about last year for the goats, you know, the electrified netting and everyone's like, Oh, it just keeps the goats in. It does not. Yeah. It does not keep the goats in. So um, go- goats are liquid. So unless your fence is watertight. <laughs> yes. True words were never spoken. <laughs> I, I call it the goat phase. And like, I celebrate people who go through their yes. goat phase because you have to do it. And I definitely think we'll probably have another goat phase as my toddlers yeah. get to like 4-H age and stuff. But um, hopefully I have better fence the next time. <laughs> we're, we're wrapping up our second goat phase. It's probably our last. And the other day I was joking on a reel and I said something about I don't like goats. And a bunch of people are like, I get it. And then a few were like, I don't understand. Why don't you like goats? And I was like, oh, you'll understand someday. No, I think it's a love-hate relationship because I really do love goats. I just... Yeah don't know if I always love owning goats that's a good way to put it (laughs) and I mean even like my 14 year old daughter she is um she's like I'll help build the fence to get my baby brother's goats and I'm like great not this year yeah yeah exactly (laughs) this year we're we're revamping everything that we have let go over the last year or so launching a new business and stuff so I love those years. I mean, I like the creation years and the production years, mm-hmm. but I also love it where you're like, okay, let's get, let's like get our life back in order. I say that all the time. I just need to get my life back in order and just like clean up all those loose ends because it's so, it's so, it follows like to me, the natural cycle, like you're growing and then you have those periods of rest where you're like, okay, we got to clean up. We got to get ready. We got to regroup. And so they're both important. You know, and it, it goes beyond the homestead projects. I just, called my bookkeeper a little bit ago to ask her if she knew of anybody who cleaned houses because with my travel schedule right now, I'm gone every other weekend. I 
came home and looked around the house and was like, yeah, my husband can't keep up with this the way I would. And so I'm having someone come in and clean my kitchen just so I can move on to that next season of life. Yes. Good for you. Good for you for outsourcing. That's a hard, it's hard step to do that sometimes, especially for people like us who are like serial DIYers. Yes. That's a big step. Yes. Like I want to do it all myself and I want to do it all yesterday. Yes, (laughs) totally. Yeah, I know. No, no, it's not unreasonable. I don't know why that can't happen. Right. And then I'm really frustrated and really hard on myself when it wasn't completed. Yes. Yesterday. Yep, yep. <laughs> I get it. I feel you. So, um, you know, recently you have started diving really deep into kind of what this movement is, which is so aligned with um, my homestead history book that I'm releasing in the fall. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation who with someone who's kind of taking it more from a different angle. So I'd love to really like kind of go into where you started this dive. Yeah, man, it's been a dive. Um, and I'm super excited about your history book, by the way. So I can't <laughs> wait for that. Um, you know, everybody so, at yeah. Homesteaders of America was like, what are you teaching next? I'm like, oh no, I'm a science teacher. They're like, no, what are you teaching next? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I figured history was a really good one that aligned that wasn't, I, I know I can't teach English, so we're good. Right. And homestead English might be harder. I feel like the history is a natural progression from what you're doing. It just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I started, I think, when did it start? A couple of years ago, three, three years ago-ish, two years ago. And I'm, I'm always someone who likes to continue to learn and grow. I'm never happy staying the same. I'm never happy uh, resting on my laurels, if you will. And so I felt like a lot of the skill pieces of homestead, I'm not saying I'm an expert or that I had them all figured out, but I'm like, I need a different level of challenge or I need a different level of understanding. Cause I'd kind of, you know, I did the bread, I've done the chickens, I've done the beef, I've done the garden. Mm-hmm. Again, not an expert, but I had my little routine figured out. And so I started to get really uh, interested in just the movement as a whole and the foundations of the movement. And maybe even more than that, I started to look at what homesteading has done for me in my life and my family. Uh, and not just, oh, we're eat, we eat better now and we have a garden and we have more to do. We're busier. Like, what are the non, not as obvious benefits that it's given us? And, you know, they're pretty substantial in terms of the connection, the understanding of nature, the, the mental health benefits, the way that it grounds me. Uh, and one of the, I think the, just to back it up a, sec- a second, one of the hmm. questions that kicked that off is I had uh, my business coach who's. I adore him and he keeps me honest and accountable and make sure that I'm doing what I say I'm going to do with my, my commitments and stuff. But he's always pushing me to re-examine my, my schedule and the commitments that I'm saying yes to. And mm-hmm. one question he asked me, it was, it was a while back. He goes, uh, come on, like, come on, are you, how long are you really going to do this homestead thing? Cause technically you don't really have time for it. Cause he's looking at my schedule and he's looking at my businesses and you know, we have the soda fountain and we have beef and we have mm-hmm. ranching and all that. And I stopped and I'm like, you're right. I, I technically don't have time for it. And I kind of gave him some little answer and we moved on. But I thought about that for quite a bit afterwards. And I thought, why am I doing this? Like, cause the people that I'm colleagues with, right. Out, outside of the homestead world, my other entrepreneur contacts, they think we're crazy. They do. It's hard enough to run a business and it's hard enough to, to homeschool. And, and it's hard yeah, enough to keep homeschooling on top of that. Is. I know. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> Maybe I, you know, because I like to examine, you know, the unexamined life isn't worth living that quote. Um, I like to examine my life. I'm like, maybe what if I stop? What if I get rid of the cow? What if we stop gardening? I just kind of played with that idea for a second. Mm -hmm. And of course it felt bad, right? My my gut was like, "Uh uh-uh. 
and it doesn't I started, feel good. It doesn't know? feel good. No. And I started to go, why doesn't it feel good? And I realized at this point in my life, after homesteading since 2008, so mm-hmm. close to 15 years, I'm not homesteading really anymore for the, t- the tomatoes and the bread. That's not really what it's about. It's not about the excitement of getting a new farm animal. It's not about the excitement of planting the carrot seeds. The benefits are a lot deeper. Um, they are, they're spiritual, they're mental, um, they're physical. They're, it's, it's this deeper connection and grounding that I've discovered as I've embarked on those skills. And so long story short, this is a, sorry, a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I realize these are important and these foundational principles of homesteading have not only changed my life, but I think they're important for humans as the human race, not to be too grand, but like, especially as we're feeling all this turmoil in our modern culture, everybody needs these skills. Everybody needs these foundational pieces. And my next question for myself was, well, how do I get it to everyone? Not just people who can buy land and have a milk cow. And that was really the question that prompted the book. Oh, wow. I mean, that, that aligns so deeply with how I'm feeling right now. And, you know, I've had those same conversations with myself, like, should I back off on the homestead while I'm trying? And, you know, there's things where we put so much effort into something and it just bombs for us. But when I looked at where, like examined where I would back off, I'm like, well, I would still want to hunt, you know? Okay. So that's a lot of our time. We always take hunting season off from homeschool and stuff. I, well, I'd still want to raise some pigs so the kids could do 4-H animals. And so we could have pork for the freezer. Well, I mean, I have to have a garden. Who doesn't have a garden? And next thing I knew, I was right back. This is just my life. And this is how I want it. Yes. But I do see where you're coming from with getting that to someone further. I mean, my goal is to reach our generation of kids that's so far removed from the family farm. Yeah. That the anxiety that I saw in them during the last few years of having no control over their lives, control over what if things shut down further than where they are? Like, how would I eat? How would I have the things that I have? And I mean, that was just such, such a calling to reach them. Yeah, absolutely. And that is really, I mean, the homesteading does such an amazing job and and I use it from homesteading. I hope people know what I mean. It doesn't mean you're living on a farm necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. I know you use it. It's, it's more of that mindset. It's that intention. Yeah. It, yeah. It's where your needle is on that scale. And I mean, for a lot of us, just yes. homeschooling or, I mean, it's just that, that one step towards self-sufficiency. It, that's what the movement is. Yes. And, and I, I think homesteading is, does such a beautiful job of helping people to have that internal locus of control, which is just what you said. And I think that's what we saw with this panic around the last few years, especially in young people, is they don't believe that they have the power to affect change on their life. They're just victims of whatever the government throws our way or the culture throws our way or the pandemic right. throws our way. And that's a horrible way to be. And I, and I feel like what I see in these, these homestead kids or these homeschool kids or these ag kids is they're like, no, it might get rocky, but I ultimately trust myself and I know what I have, what it takes. And I know I have confidence. I know I have skills. And that's, that's everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, my kids, they know how to handle themselves. They know what they need. And, you know, I mean, something I'm actually speaking about this weekend is that there is a culture of reliance on systems that I don't even think we realize we're doing. And that's yeah. like, I'm, I talk about sheltering our kids from that culture of reliance. Well, that's good. That could be a title of a book, <laughs> sheltering from the, yeah, it is. And it is, um, I feel like everything in our modern culture, some, some of it, I think is just accidental. I don't think there's necessarily a grand conspiracy on all of it. 
Whereas like there's some puppet master making us all be dependent. But I think there's all these forces that just at inadvertently kind of come together to where we are. Like it is, we're just set up to be dependent on, on everything for food and medicine and our health and how we educate ourselves and our kids. And so um, sheltering from that, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, um, you know, as homesteader, homeschool families, there's a lot of things we're sheltering our kids from. Yeah. But that reliance is, that's such a big one. And it, you know, it makes, it makes for a really entitled generation. And, you know, some people say that word and it sends up like the trigger red flags and stuff. I'm not saying that all of our children are entitled. I I just, I don't even think they realize that they think these things are just there for them. And that's not always how it works. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that was one of the things that as I started to research in my book, one of my favorite questions that kept coming up through all the different topics was like, who were we before culture told us to be this way? Or who were we, or what did we think before culture made this the norm? Mm -hmm. And it's really fascinating when you start to unpack that. So many of the things, like you said, that we're just reliant on that we just assume are going to be there that we just take for granted and we become entitled about, like they're really recent. They haven't been around that long. It's not been a part of our human experience for very long at all. So it's really interesting to see when they've come into play and how fast we've gotten attached to them. So in your research, what have you found to be that driving force behind this shift in culture? So there's lots of factors. And the thing that I kept coming back to time and time again, is I I kept seeing a lot of these things shift around the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was the 1900s, 1920s, you know, with some wiggle room on either side, but every single thing started getting wonky. And really what I, what I kind of pulled it all back towards is just the, the height of the industrial revolution and that mindset, it wasn't even just the inventions themselves, like sure steam engines and sewing machines. Cool, cool, cool. But like, it was this mindset that almost like, um, we started to become so enamored with machines because of our newfound inventions that we started to view everything as a machine. Mm -hmm. our education and our children and our human bodies and our food and animals and nature. And we started to just get obsessed with this machine mentality, which just has been this domino effect. And so I'm always careful to say I'm not anti-industrial revolution. Of course I have cars. I'm recording this with a ton of technology, (laughs) all the technology. So I think so much of this conversation we have to approach with feel and with nuance and with common sense and not just get into these uh, polarized extremes, but we, at well, we least are a in, species that does well with, um, oh with, uh, what, what word am I looking for? Uh, moderation. We do not do good with that, man. We yeah. love our <laughs> silos. Like give me something black or white to hang on to and fight to the death, but yes. don't give me any gray. <laughs> don't want the gray. Right. And I'm reading a book right now that actually it said the first article written about the dangers of technology was an 1890. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I came across, have you read about the Luddites? I'm sure you have the Luddites. That whole, the the Luddites, the original Luddites. Oh no, I haven't. Yeah. Like we use that now as like kind of, oh, not a slur, but kind of like a a denigrating term for someone who's anti-technology. So I dug into that and the the actual Luddites were a group of, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to probably butcher this, but they were basically textile workers who mm-hmm. were so upset about the uh, in introduction of looms and weaving machines because they saw it as taking away their livelihood. They would like break into the yeah. factories and vandalize and burn things down. I think they even like would hurt the factory owners. Like it was this whole thing. They were anti-technology because they knew the looms were gonna 
you know, take something away from them. And I'm like, I mean, maybe a little overreaction. They kind of had a point. It did take away their livelihood. My daughter is doing her 4-H presentation this week on the veterinarian's role in the pork industry. Mm. Yeah, she's nerdy like that. I love it. Um, I love it. And she is like, why do they call them the progressives that didn't want, you know, the monopoly rules and stuff. And, you know, it just, we, it was really interesting to see kind of that there was these groups of people that had movements so similar to what we see today. Yes. And I mean, I think we feel like that, you know, a hundred years ago, we weren't having some of those same problems and it all comes, it's all full circle so many times. Like it's fascinating. It really is. We get so, I think we're so, I'm going to make up a word, self-centric. Like, oh, uh, my experience is the first time this happened and it's so unique and it's so special. But I'm like, if you start looking at the patterns of history, which is also something I'm kind of newly interested in, it's just repeats itself over and over and over. It was, it was funny. I, um, I haven't read it yet, but I, I, I purchased a book called The Good Life by Scott and Helen Nearing. I think their last name is. They're really well known in the back to the land movement. And okay. I was- reading it's an older book and I opened it up and I was reading the first few pages and it talked about how they were they were living in a city at the time they had city jobs and they were just feeling so depressed over the state of the world I think I've heard about them yeah yeah and the state of you know where the cities were going and the turmoil in their culture that they sold it all and moved to the country and I was like sounds familiar right sounds (laughs) like 2023 it was written that that's part of their story was from the 20s during the great depression Wow. Where we romanticize that period. They were feeling the same things that mo- maybe modern city dwellers are feeling now. So I'm like, it all comes full circle. That was a hundred years ago and it still is coming full circle. Well, I can feel it. I just spent five days in Cincinnati and I was very excited to come home, even though I thought Cincinnati was really cool. Yeah. Um, there's something about the city energy. I know some people thrive on it and it makes me feel tired. It really <laughs> does. Like my, after the conference was over, my son and I, we, we always play, play this game where we get in the car and we GPS to a place and then play the left or right game. Mm. Like just every stop sign you get to you left, right or straight. And we drove all over Western Kentucky on Sunday. I mean, I think we drove for 10 hours. That's so cool. It was so fun. And I (laughs) saw the most beautiful things. I was just, I was enamored. I called my husband. I was like, Kentucky is beautiful. He's like, are we moving there? I was like, no, but it was really pretty. Yeah. That's so awesome. But I, yeah, I just needed that decompression. And my son was like, well, what if I ever go to college in a city? I was like, I know you, you need to find, you need to commute into the city if you do feel like you need to go to college there. So if he even goes to college, he's, he wants to be a crop farmer. So I was like, you either don't know to need to go to college, or if you do, you need to go to ag school, which is not going to be in the city. So. Right. Yeah. I know (laughs) My my, my oldest is only 13, but they already are like, mom, I just will never live in the city. I'm like, well, you might, you know, as young adults, you never know, you might have an apartment or you have to bunk with people for a while. And they're like, no, no, it will never happen. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. They're all very adamantly. I can't live in the city ever. Yeah. You know, I mean, even when I was in college, I I mean, it was an ag school, but I lived in a duplex in a small town outside of the city that was really close to our school farm. So that was nice, but it was still kind of, you know, the duplex that was on an acre or something. So that was nice. But, um, it was still, I shared a wall with somebody. So that was weird, but yeah. cause I'd never yeah. lived like that before. <laughs> I know I did. I was in the dorms, which it was a fun experience. I had, I still am friends with my roommates, but man, yeah, I definitely was glad when we finally got that property and we were out 
I bet you, you were a lot younger that I went back to college in my late twenties with two kids. Oh, that would be way. Yeah. That's way different. That's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. I had a two-year-old twins when I went to university. So that's amazing. That's a huge commitment. Yeah. Well, you know what? I just signed them up to be volunteers at the school farm. And so when I had to work lambing season at five in the morning, I had my yep. three, four-year-old kids with me working lamb season. So and that's why your kids are so awesome because you <laughs> had them along with you right from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to go out of town for a conference this weekend and my daughter's going to stay home with the babies. And she's like, okay, I made a grocery list and we have a plan. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> yes. I think, and I think we talked about that on when you came on my show, but I just think about all the time, what a blessing that is, is to, to be able to, you put in the, the time of, you know, mm-hmm. dragging them along at 3am with the, the, the lambing and it's three, they're toddlers and it's hard, but man, it's a blessing when they get older and they're, they're able to be confident. Well, and it's, like, oh, you know, one of the things is, you know, young moms always think it's just so much easier to do it myself. Well, in the moment, it might be easier to make a sandwich for that three-year-old because you don't yeah. feel like cleaning up jam, but if your three-year-old can make a sandwich, let them. Yes. Oh, so much. And I felt that. I mean, I think we all do. Like, mm-hmm. like I was letting my seven-year-old put soup on the stove today and she spilled it all over. And I was like, oh, I could have done that without spilling, but then you never learn. Yeah. So it's that catch 22. Exactly. I mean, of course my terrorist three-year-old, his favorite sandwich right now is seven pieces of bread with honey in between them and microwaved. So, <laughs> yes. And your whole kitchen is sticky, right? All the time. Cause that's how yeah. it is at my house. Yes. And then turns out his favorite place to eat it is in the dryer. <laughs> that is unique points for that. That's fantastic. Yeah. He's unique. Just yes. the way he is. <laughs> yep. Special. So um, I know that one of the things that you really dive into is like rural culture and like small town living and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I know you have your soda fountain. How has that kind of came full circle for you with homesteading and stuff? Yeah, it's been an interesting ride because when we first started homesteading, we were very much kind of hermits and loners and had this attitude like, well, we don't really want to do anything with the townspeople. We'll just kind of keep to ourselves. And I think a lot of homesteaders start off like that because we tend to be maybe more introverted or more independent. And that's all, those are all good traits. There's or sometimes you just that. don't have time for people. Also that, like, and I truly didn't. When we were building our homestead, my husband, for part of it, was still working full time. And I was pregnant and I don't do pregnancy while I get really sick. I had babies and I had businesses and I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to see anybody. I just, it's all about home. And that was a good stage of our life. And I'm thankful for that stage. Mm-hmm. We actually, um, my last pregnancy yeah. was so hard. I had to get up and walk out of church and I actually haven't been back in three years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it can be brutal. It really can be. Well, I mean, we live yeah. 40 minutes from town too. So like I walked out of church cause I was so sick. I couldn't do it. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and next thing I know, it just wasn't part of our life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so, I, I mean, totally it, get that. Not that we don't have that fellowship or teach devotion at school and those types of things. I mean, one of those, oh my gosh, I have to defend my faith now. But... No, you don't. Not with me. You're fine. Oh, you are know, fine. <laughs> you, are, you are safe with me. Right. So, I actually, um, I think we also quit going to church when I was pregnant and it was, and it was, there were some other factors, just our own spiritual journey, but yeah, it was like, mm-hmm. I cannot sit here through the service and feel like I'm going to puke the entire time. So we're just, we're just not going to go. And then we just go back. Um, similar but we still like you said we still fellowship there's still there's other there's other ways to create Mm -hmm. that connection I mean you know the rural life you're fellowshipping just going and picking up grain from the neighbors you know it's a different lifestyle yes which I love which I think it's maybe well I don't want to get into all of that but I feel like maybe that's (laughs) what it was meant to be all along less sitting in pews and more like 
real world action, those connections. I actually live in a community where probably half of the, like I'm doing air quotes for people who, you know, you guys can't see us. So air quotes, um, half the churches in town are home churches. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's a really neat one. Like they don't even have a pastor. The um, dads take turns um, yeah. preaching each weekend. So yeah, I like that. Most of them are Sabbath keepers too. So yeah. Very new Testament. If you want to, I mean, if you, you, if it talks, speaking of history, if you want to get into some interesting history, go look at church history of how we got to the current um, state of what we think church is and what it should be. Fascinating. I will definitely have to dig into that a little yes. bit further. So yes. I'm focusing my book on a uh, U.S. history, but mm, yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely something I'd like to dig deeper into because you were talking about cycles of history. And one I'm looking at right now is cycles of famine and the inner, mm-hmm. like how interesting it is to me that the same mistakes were made. And I wonder how they, how they continued to make those same mistakes, even in more modern history. So yeah, it's fascinating. I feel like sometimes we just, humans don't learn very well on those things. We just, just, we just don't, you know, you see it. Happening it's all about the money. So it doesn't matter yeah. if it's people are, yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were talking about rural life, like in small mm. towns. So yeah, I when you I. You and I could probably go really far down some rabbit holes. We but. could go on some good <laughs> rabbit holes. Um, love a good rabbit hole. But yeah, so we, when my kids started getting older and my home, our home set got a little more stable, you know, we weren't doing the massive projects every weekend and my businesses got a little more in a routine. I kind of started feeling like I need, I need more. Like, I don't know anybody here and I am not connected here. And I have, you know, we all have skills and talents. I think we're given. And I feel like I was like, I'm not really using these to, to help the people around me. I'm kind of being a little selfish and just keeping them in my own little bubble. And so I, I kind of felt, here's a churchy word for you, convicted <laughs> that I should share, share our talents with the, those around us, basically. And so we kind of were playing with that. We started to get to know some people. Um, people always ask me, well, how do you get to know people? What, what, like, I'm like, I, there is no formula. Like, I don't, we just literally started putting ourselves out there. And some of the people we clicked with, some of the people yeah. we didn't, we invited people over for supper. My favorite hacks is if you have a project, laying sod, building a barn, cleaning a chicken coop, invite, invite a family over. Yeah. yeah. Cause then you don't have the awkward staring at each other in the living room vibe. You just are right. doing something. So we just started putting ourselves out there and sometimes it was awkward and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Um, and so we made connections and then long story short, we had an opportunity to invest in the soda fountain, purchase a soda fountain, um, which we never would have done if we hadn't started making those inroads into the community and kind of understanding what was happening in the community. And so that was a big leap. And a lot of people were like, what are you doing? Homesteaders don't buy restaurants, which always just, hey, I'm like, who, we, who says they don't buy restaurants? Right. We have some ideas that we want to pursue in the next couple of years that aren't that far from that idea. Yes. So I totally yes. get it. And I'm also like, well, as soon as someone tries to put me in a box, I'm going to break the box. So (laughs) feel free, but it's not going to work. So anyway, like I'll make my own rules. Thank you. But so we bought the soda fountain. It was an investment. Um, It was horrible, by the way. Thank you. It was a project, but it pulled on everything I've learned from my online entrepreneur path. It was kind of cool to see those skills come into play in a different setting. Um, so it hasn't always been easy. There's been rocky times. There's, you know, there's drama, there's employee issues. Sometimes it's just everything you would expect in a small town, but yeah. overall it's been fantastic. And I love having the connection with the community. I, I feel so much fuller, you know, to have our homestead 
And I love being on the homestead and I still get my introvert time, but then to be able to go out into the community and serve coffee to the old timers and say hi to everybody and get to know what's happening. It's just, it's really special. And so I've become a really big advocate of, yeah, homestead and be independent and be self-sufficient, but don't forget about community, whatever that looks like for you. It's really important. Well, and in this homestead movement, self-sufficiency is such a utopian concept. And I think that everybody really, they tried to jump into that in that 2020 and you know, we were already well on our way to a pretty sufficient homestead when 2020 happened. But then we started having all those, these different ideas, like, you know, I don't even know how can I make my own toilet paper, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, I definitely took on way more projects during that year. I don't know if it was out of boredom or trying to have some control of the situation. And I think what we've really come to find is that the, one of the biggest pieces of self-sufficiency is community sufficiency And it's keeping that, I don't know, that movement smaller where we don't start jumping back into the government reliance and things like that. Yes. And I think that's such a good point because I think in our rush, and I've been there, I've I've used the word self-sufficiency and, you know, I want to be independent and, you know, I want to do everything myself. I've used that a lot over the years, but I think we miss that historically that's not real. Like you you look at the, maybe the best example of an old fashioned life in our current culture would be the Amish. They live in community mm-hmm. for a reason. They're very much dependent yeah. on each other. Um, I I think it's almost impossible for someone. You can't, you just can't you can't do it all on your own. You can't. I mean, it, even at the end no, of the day, no. if you're growing a ton of food, you still have to go buy salt. I doubt you have your own salt mine. You still have to go. You know, get d- fuel for your um, vehicles. And if you don't have vehicles and you have yeah. horses, then you're gonna. I mean, you just it's just gets yeah. silly trying to do it all ourselves, and it's well, kind of a wasted effort. Yeah, I teach homestead science at my kids homeschool co-op and it's for five to seven year olds. I think there's an eight, the eight-year-old boy, I think asked me the question yesterday, but you know, I taught them about wool and fibers and stuff. And then yesterday we were making mini hay bales and we were using yarn and he's like, Miss Cody, is this yarn from wool? And I'm like, no, this yarn's from plastic. Yes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) We got it in a KiwiCo box, you know? Yep. 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 Um, Yeah. It's just, I think we can get so hung up on extreme DIY that we lose sight of what we're actually yeah. going after. Yeah. His mom was like, what do you mean? You didn't like, you know, whatever this for us this morning. Yes. I'm like, no, no, that's yeah, not. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're keeping it balanced within yeah. reason. Yeah. And we even forgot to buy hay on the way here. So we stopped at the feed store to buy it. There you go. Yeah. And and that's such a, it's such a good thing. And like, I think people realize if they can just realize there's so much more joy in having that, in, in cultivating it. And it takes work. Like, a lot of times people will message me when I start talking about community sufficiency or whatever. And they're like, well, that's nice. But my town, I have difficult people in my town. It won't work. I'm like, honey, I've got real difficult people in my town too. Like we, it is not roses and sunshine all the time. Like you have to work at it. And there's times when I have been offended. I don't get offended easily, but there has been stuff that's been said about us. I'm like, I am offended. Jill is offended, but guess right. what? Well, Jill gets to get over farmers, it. Farmers, they're yeah. very locked in their ways. Very locked in their ways. People don't like change. Like I've had multiple women walk into the soda fountain. It's shiny and fresh and clean. And they're like, you ruined this. And I'm like, okay, wow. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll just tell you this, you know, maybe you need to hear it. Maybe you don't. I thought it looked very authentic. Oh, thank you. It looked like <laughs> maybe you walked, yeah. like you walked into it in the forties or something. And that was the yeah. fresh coat of paint from the forties. So, yes. I mean, that was the goal. Some people don't see it like that and they're allowed, they're allowed to have yeah. that opinion, but you know, it's been plenty of opportunities. Well, you have my seal of approval. So. I, I see, that's all I needed was Cody's. 
<laughs> I'll just be next time they come out. I'll be like, Cody says it's fine. So stop. Right. Talking. You should. <laughs> yeah, I should. <laughs> Cody, Cody is all that matters. So um, that's what I thought. Yeah. But you know, there's always opportunities to, uh, you collide sometimes, and then you get to have resolutions and you get to figure out how to get along. And I think that's one of the most old fashioned things we can do is mm-hmm. to figure out how to have, how to be in relationship with people that we don't see eye to eye on with all the time and not just run around to our little political silos and stay locked up with people who think exactly like us. That's a modern thing. So if you mm-hmm. want to be old fashioned, like figure out how to be in community that it's where the good stuff is. I like it. You know, I live in a community where pretty much everybody is like-minded. So I do forget sometimes when I go out into the world and then I almost become overly PC because yeah. I don't know who it's okay to say what to. Right. Because I haven't been involved in the rest of the world over the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy for that to happen. I think we naturally congregate and there's still my friends like, you know, who just get me and I get them. And those are the ones I just, I can let my hair down around and we relax and we really enjoy. But then I'm like, you know what? It's still good to be out around the people who are very different. And it's, I think it's a good exercise for everybody. Well, I mean, I saw the same best friend since I was two years old. We definitely, mm-hmm. the conversations we have, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's special. There, that, that's, yeah. that's special for sure. Mm-hmm. But so um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book that you have coming out? Because I feel like this kind of is falling right into that conversation. Yeah. So it's kind of the summation of this exploration journey that I was talking about earlier. It's called old fashioned on purpose and it centers on eight principles of an old fashioned life. And it's really not a people like it's a homesteading book. I'm like, it's really not, it's really just helping people shift their mindset into seeing life from a different lens that hopefully will make them feel happier, will make them feel less anxious, will give them more purpose. And so the eight principles are everything from um, examining the food we're eating, where we're getting the food, looking at our environmental stewardship, looking at um, how we're using our hands, how we're parenting. So there's those, those, those pieces that no matter where you live, New York or Kansas or Florida or wherever, you can take those ideas and plug them into your own life and see the results. So that was my, that was my goal is to take the homestead, not to kind of take those principles off the homestead and bring them to a wider audience. I I love it. I am writing a book right now called raising the self-sufficient child and it actually good. Yeah. Yeah. It actually has nothing to do really with homesteading except for how we historically worked with our kids. Um, as we were raising them to be partners in our home and partners in society, rather than us being their either ultimate bosses or their maids. Oh man, that's going to be so good. That is a needed book too. It's I'm excited. And I mean, people are really, um, I've, I've spoke on it about five times now at homeschool conventions and the excitement I'm really, I'm excited to hopefully see what this, what comes of this movement to kind of move away from those. Like we were talking about entitled children. Yep. Yep. And the helicopter parenting thing is so hard and oppressive and even when you're, even the parents, I don't think that they don't know they're doing it, but they kind of, they kind of perpetuate it on everyone else in their circles. It's just, it's, it's hard to get away from that mindset. I think we need that voice in the wilderness calling us to something else. Right. And, you know, with so many people kind of falling into the modern homestead movement, or at least being intrigued by it, I think it gives us a voice Yeah, that maybe we can help that it isn't just about growing all your own food. It's kind of a mindset. Absolutely. 
just how you handle each part of your life. Um, so what's some of your biggest takeaways from the research you did on this book? Cause I know you've been really diving deep for a long time. Yeah, I think, I think my biggest takeaway is that, um, it, it this matters, Home, this homesteading movement. And I'm kind of trying to even use that word less. Cause I feel like it makes people mm-hmm. think of one thing and one thing only, but whatever this is, this movement of intentional. I definitely understand. You know, I, I yeah. was actually talking to Connor Boyack recently, the, mm-hmm. you know, Tuttle twins. Yeah. And I said, you know, honestly, you know, I used to know where I stood politically and, you know, he, you know, with his libertarian, I said, I almost feel like homesteading is a political movement at this point. We're almost like, I mean, I don't know if we can call us a political party, but yeah, there's more to it than farming. Absolutely. Yeah. It's become its, its own thing for sure. And so sometimes I feel like the word still fits what I do. And sometimes I feel like I've grown out of it a little bit. So, um, but I think my biggest takeaway is that these principles matter and where they're needed, they're needed more than ever in our culture. And, um, I know for me personally, my biggest takeaway is that, you know, to kind of circle back and answer that question that my business coach asked me, like, yeah, I will continue to do this. And, and these days when I go out to the greenhouse or I go, um, get ready to make a loaf of bread, it's, it's less about the result for me right now. And it's more about the process. And so, you know, even, even the last couple of days, I had a lot of computer work. I've got a lot of projects going. I'm, you know, book launches coming and there's all these things happening, but I just felt this call at the end of the day, around four o'clock. I'm like, you got to go outside. You got to get in the greenhouse. And I, I didn't, it's really not about the, the vegetables out there anymore. It's like, Jill, you need your hands in the dirt. You need to have the warmth on your skin. You need to breathe. You need to have silence and you need to, to just be. And that's kind of where I've seen homesteading take me these days. It's just keeping me sane. It's keeping me grounded. It's keeping me balanced. And the food and the, the, the bread and the vegetables are just a side effect. Mm-hmm. Have you read the book, um, Vegetable Animal Junk? Oh, I or- think I thought you were going to say Vegetable Animal Miracle, but I think I have read, I think I've read both of them. Um, it's. I'm in the, pro- in the middle of it right now. And so I, and I always forget the name okay. of it. So. Cause I know there's vegetable animal miracle by Barbara King solver, but then I think this one's a play on that one, but I, I do believe I've read it. It's I love vegetable it. Food. Junk from sustainable to suicidal. Ooh. Okay. Maybe I have it. And I am super that. enjoying it. Animal vegetable junk. That's what it oh, is. Oh, it's Mark Bittman. Yeah. I think I did yes. read. I think I maybe started it and got sidetracked, but I remember I loved the the first little bit. So I'm gonna have to revisit that. I tend to do that. Yeah. So one of the, I know how you feel. (laughs) It's like, I'm trying to finish the self-sufficient, self-sufficient child book right now, but I'm more excited about the homestead history book. So I keep finding myself reading those books because I can dive a little deeper and I, I get sucked into them. But one of the first lines in that book that I highlighted was as a society, we no longer have a daily relationship with soil. Oh, that's good. Yes. yes. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like that just, and I mean, I feel like that just says so much more than, I mean, it's not even just about getting your hands dirty. It's yeah. just that full picture that everything that you're doing that, and so many people in our society just have no clue. Yep. And that's not, right. I'm not even saying that as a dig. That's a, 
that's a ignorance within our society. It is. And yeah, and we're, we're set up to be ignorant and we're encouraged to be ignorant. And we're mm-hmm. told that that's the more modern civilized way to be. Right. I actually couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. I was talking to someone yesterday that it was just, I'm having such a realization of how ignorant we've been forced to be that I don't even, I don't trust my own. I don't want to say I don't trust my own thoughts, but I don't trust anyone else. So it makes me hard to, it makes it hard to formulate exactly how I'm feeling about a lot of the stuff that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel you. I feel, I feel myself a lot. Like I look at the one side, say this, and I'm like, ugh. and I look at the other side, say this, and I'm like, ugh. so I'm like, I'm somewhere in the middle, but I don't fit anywhere. So it's, it's a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. My husband and I talk about that quite often, actually, because, you know, where we were when we got married or even before we knew each other, how we felt politically and stuff. And then yeah. where we stand now over the last few years, we kind of had to take a stance and go really far well, to the right, we're not even going to yeah. be shy about that. Yeah, We don't hide that anywhere. But we almost felt like we were forced to go as far as we did. Yep. And, you know, we live in North Idaho, where somebody asked me recently what North Idaho was like. And I said, it's crazy white people with guns. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah I mean, I'm from North like, Idaho. I can adjust. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. very true is what it is. And, so, you know, we almost felt really pushed into that far right. Not that I felt like anybody was pushing me. I right. felt... I needed to stand really strong over there when normally we would have been a lot more moderate. Yes. I think that's I, happening. Um, yeah. On both sides right now. And it's kind of scary because huge like, polarization. Yeah. Huge polarization. And it's to the extremes. Like, I feel like a lot of people are, are I think there's more moderate people or there used to be, but now they're, they're either scared to say that I'm, you know, I'm a moderate. I'm not, I, I, t- I see the both sides or they're being pushed and forced. And so it's, I, I guess I, I'm interested in, I, I have to go back and look at the cycle of this. Like when else has this happened in history? I'd love to know where it ends because it's kind of interesting to watch at this point. Yeah. And I mean, the example I use a lot is I'm always going to, you know, be pretty strongly for second amendment rights. I will never live without my gun. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was in college as a single mom, I wouldn't have made it without government systems. Right. But what I did is I took that to get my degree and turned right around and started paying taxes again and then volunteered my time at women's shelters. I mean, it was, and it's like kind of what you do with it. It's, I don't, I'm not against the system. I'm possibly against how the system is used. Right. Right. And it's again, nuance. We're back to that, that nuanced conversation. You can't, you can't throw all the babies out with all the bathwater. You got to be able to have some feel and some critical thinking and figure out where does this apply here? Uh, my, one of my favorite sayings is two things can be true at the same time. Oh like, yeah. It can't, it just is. And pe- we, we, people don't like to hear that. And many things aren't mutually exclusive and it's, yeah. I, I love living in the gray area. And I mean, even sometimes my own spouse is like, mm, I yep. don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep, same. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, my husband definitely, he kind of started listening to your husband's podcast and he was very intrigued with what he had to say because he does feel that, you know, how I'm rapidly accelerating in my world and how he wants to be a part of that and doesn't know how. Yeah. And it, it's funny or not funny, but it's interesting that that's, it's fairly common. I mean, Kristen has talked to a lot of other guys mm-hmm. whose wives have um, you know, started businesses or done entrepreneur stuff. And the guys are kind of like, this is foreign territory. I don't know what to do with it. So it's, yeah, mm-hmm. he's not alone. That's for sure. Well, and what I've seen a lot recently, I, um, 
that when you look back historically, women were the one who handled the homestead. Mm-hmm. That's why it was called homemaking. We were the ones who were milking the cows. I mean, that's why cows were bred to be so docile because it was the women who were working with them or dairy cows were bred to be, bred to yeah. be docile. And so as we're kind of going back into this, the women are the ones who are handling it. And I think, you know, I, I don't know where you stand, but I, st- I still definitely believe in the masculine male. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. And I want my husband to still have that role. And I think that in our society today, like they, they don't understand where they fit into that role sometimes. Yes. And I think society is actively discouraging that their very nature, which is not great. And then they were like, I don't know why these young boys are wandering and floundering. I'm like, well, duh. Like you've told them that being themselves is not allowed and it's toxic. And I mean, they, they don't know where they fit. I mean, I tell him he has his place all the time. I'll milk the cow. You build her fence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's our division of labor here too. I'm like, I'll have the crazy ideas and make the food and you build the project or you build the infrastructure for the crazy ideas. Right. Which, you know, as you talked about like the restaurant and stuff, I think that is, we are now that the business is growing enough where it sustains us, we're able to start looking at something that gives him his place as well. So I mean, I don't think it is all that crazy to take it in other angles. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know Christian and I have had so many conversations and especially in the early years of, he was like, and this might trigger some people, but he's like, I'm not going to be Mr. Mom. Mm -hmm. He's like, I know that your business is successful and I respect that. And he's always been supportive. He's never, he's never been a guy who's been like, I don't want you to make more money than I am. I've heard guys say that he's never, he's never been that way. Um, But he's like, I, I, it's not, I'm not wired to come home and just, flip roles where you're the breadwinner and I'm the one doing the diapers and the dishes. And so mm-hmm. we, we've kind of had, we've had a lot of conversations and I didn't want him to either because I don't, yeah, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I'm a, attracted to. I don't, I didn't want him to become my wife. Right. No, I, I wanted totally him agree to on that. still have his role as a man. And I, I still like that. And so um, figuring that out was interesting though. And I think we've, and, and I, I, I'm sure you have felt this, it, it, it works. It can work in its own way. It just doesn't look exactly like the, like everyone else, or it looks exactly mm-hmm. like society tells you it looks, but he can still live into his role and find his niche. And I can still do what lights me up and what I'm called to do. And it, it's fun when it comes together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even my husband, he was a disabled vet. So he's actually, he's kind of been stay at home dad from the t- time his oldest boys were born. Yeah. And so that's been, or when they were, he got back from Iraq when they were like four. So mm-hmm you know, he's, has been that like stay at home, super hands-on dad, but no, he's not the, you know, we split cooking and those types of things, but that's just how we formulate our family, you know? Yes. Um, he likes to cook. So why, you know, so we share that. And honestly, at this point with how busy the business is, it's him and the teenagers. Yeah. And I cook about one night a week. Yep. You know, so yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Usually I, I plan the meals and I grocery shop for the meals and I let them know what they can cook, but yeah, um, I definitely don't have to be in there in the kitchen for hours on end. So that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, to be fair, just to, so in, in case anyone's asking Christian, Christian does a lot of dishes. He does a lot of laundry. Just want <laughs> everyone to think he's not, you know, you know, so, no, you know, I totally get it. He does a lot mm-hmm. like, and he, you know, there's times where I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm going to be at the soda fountain till five 30 and I don't have supper plans. So it's you're, you're on your own. He's not a great cook, but he can like make some scrambled eggs and some bacon and some hash browns. And so, you know, right. he'll fill in and it's been, yeah, it's been good. We, to we see do a lot of breakfast for dinner. I'll breakfast totally for dinner is that. where it's yeah. at. <laughs> yeah. um, 
And, you know, we actually, we made a deal right off the bat when we first started dating, I was working 80 hours a week. So he goes, I'll handle all the dishes. If you handle all the laundry and a decade later, that's still how it works. Yeah. You know, the kids do a lot of dishes and laundry, but it still falls under our management roles. For sure. Like we're the ones making sure it gets done and that type of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Totally work. Yeah. I just, it can look different for everyone. I think giving yourself that grace is really important. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad we were able to bring kind of the men into this one too. Cause I feel like that's such a big one in this new movement is making, understanding the new roles, yes. but in a, but it, they're still traditional roles. Yeah. Yeah. In it, yeah, in their own unique way. Mm-hmm. So my favorite question for all of my guests is, so my show is grow your own. It's the theme for my show is growing your own food and growing as a person. So I like to ask, what does keep growing mean to you? Oh, I like that question. Right? <laughs> um, for me, I think it's just continuing to ask questions and continuing to examine what I hold to be true. Um I know the best revelations of my life, whether it's around food or education or religion or relationships has been when I have um, been willing to ask why, why do I believe this? Why do I think this is the only way? Or do I think this is the only way? Or or where did this come from? And just being willing to sit with those questions and not freak out when I don't know the answers and maybe be able to examine that the paradigm that I've held onto in those areas maybe isn't the only way to think or isn't the only paradigm that has given me some of the most exciting adventures and the best growth of my entire life. So for me, it's just always asking good questions. That's great. That lifelong learning is just, and it's more, I think it's more than lifelong learning. It's willing to learn anything. Yeah, totally. I really like that. So do you want to tell everyone like where they can find you when your book's coming out, all those good things? Sure. Yeah. So uh, the prairiehomestead.com is still kind of like the hub where you can get my blog posts and just connect to the podcast and all the different things I do. Um, I'm most active on social media on Instagram and that's jill.winger. I'm on the other platforms too, but I just like Instagram the most, honestly. (laughs) And then the book will be out September 26th of 2023. And if people want to pre-order which is awesome because that, I don't know if people know this, but it gives the book a little extra oomph at the beginning. And my goal is to get this into as many hands as possible. I've got mine pre-ordered. So yeah, beyond like just the homestead niche, I'm like, we're going to bust out of the homestead niche and we're going to get into like mainstream and start like indoctrinating the culture. That's the goal. So if you pre-order, I have a bunch of bonuses for you, freebies and sourdough recipes and all kinds of stuff. So you can pre-order at oldfashionedbook.com. That'll give you all the scoop. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Jill. And I can't wait to get my hands on that book. Oh, thank you for having me, Cody. This was a blast. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education. And I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing.